Hi, my name is Isabella Johnston, and today's tip of the week is about unconscious bias as it relates to affinity. This is also called similarity bias. It is the tendency people have to connect with others who share similar interests, experiences, and backgrounds. When companies hire for culture fit, they are likely falling prey to affinity bias. When hiring teams meet someone they like and they really want to bring onto the team, it's more often than not because the person shares similar interests, experiences, and backgrounds. That's human nature, which is not helping your team grow and diversify. While similarities shouldn't automatically disqualify a candidate, they should never be the deciding factor either. To avoid affinity bias, actively take note of the similarities you share with the candidate so that you can differentiate between attributes that may cloud your judgment and the concrete skills, experiences, and the unique qualities that would contribute to your team as a culture add rather than a culture fit. So welcome to the Intern Whisperer. Our show is all about the future of work. Hi, my name is Isabella, and today's guest is Sharice Wilkes. She is the founder and CEO of Affinity Consulting Group, an expert in finding funding for all types of entities. She's a speaker, and she's multifaceted. So she has a, I met her down at OMG Labs, and I'm so glad. I really have enjoyed getting the opportunity to work with you and you know, just your expertise. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. So we always kick off our show with five words that describe you and why those five words. So what would you pick? I would pick that I am number one, a strategist. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> I know that would be your first word. Yep. Forward thinking. Mm -hmm. um, I am kind. Yes. I would, uh, I like the word multifaceted. I'll go ahead and use that. Mm -hmm. And uh, that I'm loyal. Got it. So now I always ask my guests, well, why those five words? Just so you know, um, let's start with strategists, because I know we're, I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to say, but you tell me. <laughs> so strategy is actually uh, my number one strength. It is something that I've always excelled at. I see when I talk to people, I'm listening. I listen very intently um, to pick up on what they're saying. And then I am able to put things together in my head and basically help them figure out or solve their problems. So I've done that not only uh, throughout my career, but in my personal life as well. And so I, I see jigsaw puzzles in my head and I figure out how to solve them. Hmm. I like that metaphor that you just used about having jigsaw puzzles in your head. I, I never thought about it, but I am wired that way also. And I go, oh, sometimes do you ever encounter this problem where people think that, wow, you sound like you're really negative, but no, it's because you like solving problems. Yeah. I solve problems. And then I'm also thinking again, future focus forward. Yeah. Thinking, I will think five, 10 steps down the path while people are stuck on step one. Yeah. So I think that's what makes me a great strategist. Mm -hmm. I would agree with you there. So you mentioned also forward thinker. Let's mm -hmm. talk about that one a little bit more. Okay, so I chose forward thinking because I have uh, never been the type of individual, even as a child, to like stick in anyone's box. Um, again, because of the way I think about solving problems and solutions and strategy, I am always looking towards the future about what's going to happen. 
whether it's positive, negative, any of those things, I just want to like think about visualizing Mm -hmm. what's going to happen, what's going to happen at the end. What if you do A, B, and C? (laughs) Maybe Mm -hmm. you need to add a D. That's just how I see the world and move about it. So I definitely like to think that I am looking for trends, analyzing what's happening in my environment and around me all the time. I have a lot of data that comes into my head. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I uh, think that I'm forward thinking in the sense of like, I take in a lot of information. I've been called a little encyclopedia at times (laughs) because of all the things that I know. Um, I'm constantly reading, constantly looking at what's happening, what's going to be happening in the future and looking at at the trends and where we're going. So that's why I call myself a forward thinker. I like that. Kind. Mm -hmm. Um, I am kind. Everyone uh, has certainly said that I am, uh, they use the word nice. So I don't let people use the word nice. I say that I am kind because I am a Gemini. So I still have two sides of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you believe in zodiac signs. So for the most part, I like to be even kill, like the laugh, smile, be kind to people. But if I am pushed, then I can become a little, you know, less kind. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, most of us can't. And to be honest, I think that there's a little bit of truth into the whole zodiac sign. Mm-hmm. I find it to be, you know, it's not how I live my life, but right. <laughs> yeah, I think there's some truth in it. Multifaceted. Yes. So I call myself multifaceted because I've got a lot of varying interest Um, and I am somewhat adventurous. I like to try things at least once uh, in terms of what I can physically do. So I say I'm multifaceted. I um, am a entrepreneur, but I am also still very much a public administrator. I am also an adjunct lecturer. I have a lot of different uh, types of hobbies and they all don't necessarily, um, I guess, look linear Mm -hmm. to some people. And I just do whatever feels good to my body and my spirit. So move with that. Very nice. And loyal. Um, I am loyal. Once I like you, I like you for life. (laughs) Oh, that is very nice to know. (laughs) I'm going to hope I'm in that category. (laughs) So, you know, should something go wrong, I will certainly um, pull you to the side and talk about it. And we're going to solve the problem, you know, or whatever the issue is before we leave each other's presence. So I believe in uh, loyalty. Mm. Nice and nice to have that trait, but I'm always surprised at how many people don't exhibit that. Correct. Yeah. So it is super, super important. All right. So we usually talk about a career path. Mm-hmm. You know, where did you first start? You can pick anywhere, honestly. Some people have even shared their journey from when they were six years old or and they started singing. And one did also when they were 12 and they were beginning their first you know, companies, so to Mm. speak. So wherever you want to start and how did you end up to where you are now? How long do you have? (laughs) Uh, We'll get to spend a little time on this, but we have a lot of questions. So let's see if I can speed this up. So um, let's see, I would say there has always been a um, undertone with messages and the influences that I had around as a child that probably were steering me to where I am today, but I didn't know it at the time. So even as a teenager, I was pretty much entrepreneurial. It didn't realize that part. Um, I had family members, my family on my mother's side, we're 
public administrators, and then we always had a business on the side. So I was picking up those cues from uh, family members around me. So I became entrepreneur. I started my own babysitting company. I was selling like candy and snow cones in my town on the a side. A babysitting company. Yes. Hmm. Okay. So, but I hear the food. So I'm really interested how this is all getting connected because it sounds like the babysitter club, the book. I had all of them. Okay. And I loved that. I love that and a uh, little house on the prairie, mm-hmm. <laughs> the rural, the rural connection uh, connected me to that. But yes, I had all of the babysitter club books. In fact, they're still on my childhood bookshelf back home. <laughs> so yes, I did start a babysitting company and started babysitting for uh, neighbors and their kids in the neighborhood at like 13 or 14. That was a way for me to earn extra money. I would save it to the side and actually use it to spend on buying uh, additional clothes for school because I like fashion. So um, that's what I did as a child. And then of course, when I turned 16, I ended up working uh, at the local grocery stores. Um, And I grew up near Destin, Florida. So obviously, um, vacationers and all that thing is like a big, huge, you know, popular destination for people to go vacation. So a lot of the hotels actually hired like a lot of extra summer help during the summer. It was great tip money. I ended up actually going to go clean rooms because you get tips for doing that. So I did that in vacation homes and uh, then I went off to school. So I completed my undergraduate studies at Florida State University and uh, I changed my major a couple of times because I did not know what I wanted to be. I went into school intending to be a doctor, but more so because those were the images that I saw on TV with the Cosby show and a different world. So I wanted to be a doctor. And so I started school doing that. I did not have the discipline to study the way that I needed to study. Mm -hmm. So I switched my major to nursing. From there, I got really, really excited because I had to pick a minor. I chose psychology. From there, I thought, you know what? I like this better. I'll be a therapist is mm-hmm. what I'm going to do. So that's where that those listening skills come in. So I finished school with a degree in family, child, and consumer sciences, and I immediately started a master's program in social work so that I could become a therapist. And my whole goal was to own my own practice. Mm. So I started that process. I got my first job working for the Department of Children and Families. I think I did eligibility for like food stamps or something. Hated that. Um, 9-11 occurred. I decided to get out after that. I had some epiphanies. And then I started at the Florida Abuse Hotline. So while I was at the Florida Abuse Hotline, I my boss took a, a, a interest in me and started having me shadow him as a manager. And there were a slate of policies that were being passed that impacted families in a negative way and caused children not to be reunified with their parents. So I asked him, I said, I want to understand how these policies are getting made. And I called the Capitol, found out that they had an internship program. I went back to my boss and I asked him, can I basically work four 10-hour days? And on Fridays, I'm going to go to the Capitol and intern. So I did that and got in for an internship with the Florida House of Representatives. I was interning with a representative from down in South Florida. She was awesome, former Representative Booker, and they taught me a lot. I met other representatives there and then got offered a job to move to um, Jacksonville, which started kind of more of the public administration career. So while I was doing this internship at the Capitol, 
I said, it's not social work, it's policy. And this is the crux of how you actually create social change. And so I switched my major to get a master's in public administration. I applied for school over in Jacksonville, took the job, and I left Tallahassee. So while I was going to school and working for a state representative, um, I saw another internship opportunity open up with the city of Jacksonville. And it was a management internship where they had the interns on a track to become city managers. Wow. So the... Uh, person who created that program was Dan Clayman. He actually used to be the city manager for the city of Tallahassee for over two decades. And he was working in Jacksonville under Mayor John Payton, who is the uh, CEO of Gate Petroleum. And I wanted to just take on this uh, entrepreneurship and city manager role and learn from them because you had a public administrator and also a businessman running the city. Mm -hmm. And so it was great times. I, they, I love the internship. They sent me to like Lean Six Sigma training, project wow. management training, just everything. And they allowed me to work on um, two large projects where I actually got to reorganize city government twice. So um, I worked with a team of another intern and the chief of staff. And we basically did that for a couple of years and reorganized city government. So from there, I said, hey, I don't know anything about finance while we're reorganizing these departments. We also had some reduction in force. All of these things deal with money. You have to move money around. So I specifically asked them, put me into the finance department. They put me into the finance department. So these are all skills that I needed to learn in order to become a city manager, which is what I was being groomed for. So I went into the finance department I became the assistant capital improvement officer while I was also a management and budget analyst. I had the largest departments that I oversaw their budgets, so public works. Um, I helped with police and fire, economic development. I learned everything about money when it comes into the city. How do you attract mm -hmm. corporations? You know, how do you put public-private partnerships together? And then one day, uh, the mayor's chief of staff came down to the office and she said, "Hey." Um, we have a person who has, is trying to create a grants office, but he's moving into a different position. The mayor would like for you to create a centralized grants office for the city. I, um, laughed at her <laughs> when she said that, because I said, why would you tap me to do that? I know nothing about grants at the time. What she did not know was I had actually started having a series of dreams, which I only shared with my graduate school classmates to actually start a grant writing company but I knew nothing about grants. So these two things happened mm -hmm. at the same time. I did not create that company until three years later in 2010, which was the start of Affinity Consulting Group, which is my current company. I did go on to become the grants administrator for the city of Jacksonville, which is a consolidated city county. So I oversaw and created an office for grants management and compliance and oversaw all of the grants and even bought in $26 million while I was there. I had an untapped uh, skill in writing grants that I did not know I had. So that moved me along the path with more funding opportunities. Wow. That sounds like a really good, you're right, strategist. Mm -hmm. That is the word that I would use to honestly describe you. Because the fact that you saw the benefit of 
moving into different departments. I've said that mm-hmm. to students that are want, looking for internships. And I've said, the best thing you can do is go work in a company that's going to allow you, they're going to pay you and work in every single department. So you'll know how to, if you think you want to run your own business, absolutely, you need to go and work in every department so you can see what are the processes, how do they do that? Mm-hmm. It's so valuable. And you were doing it at at time, I don't know how old you were, but it's irrelevant. 20s. Yeah. <laughs> 20s, 30s. Yeah. yeah. I definitely took ownership of that. And then the mentors that I had around me at that time also poured into me and they taught me negotiation skills. They taught me to ask for what I wanted, which is partially where the confidence comes from sometimes. Yeah. I don't have it all the time, but it's there. But just ask for what you want. The worst anyone can say is no. Mm-hmm. I'm writing this down here. Yeah, because that was a, a really good quote to make sure that you ask for what you want. Because mm-hmm. yeah. no one's going to advocate for you or do it for you. So you have to be your own advocate. You sure do. Yep. So now let's talk about Affinity. Yes. Okay. So I started Affinity in 2010 while I was still working at the city of Jacksonville. My goal at that time was, hey, I'm going to work with small businesses and nonprofits on the side, helping them with grants funding, working on passion projects that I would not have necessarily had access to work on during the daytime for my employer. So I created the company um, and it has morphed over the years where I've added in more of the skill sets that I've learned along the way and those of colleagues and um, people within my network who I met. So Affinity Consulting Group is now a 13-year-old management consulting firm. We actually serve government clients um, and also small business clients. We were serving nonprofits, but right now we no longer serve nonprofits. I, For me as a CEO, I prefer to lend my time, talent, and treasures being um, in board positions with nonprofits versus doing consulting with them. So um, for the small businesses, we provide small business advisory services. So we actually help with incorporation. We do strategic and business planning. We also help them get access to capital, their business certifications in case they want to actually get into corporate and government contracting. So those are the services that we provide to small businesses. And then for the government side, we uh, provide disaster recovery services. We help on community development projects and we do grant and contract administration. That's quite a bit. I've taken um, Rollins College, and I'm sure you know this, has their own grants program. I went through that program there. I did uh, take a two-year certificate of nonprofit management, Mm -hmm. and I learned so much from that, and it's definitely benefited me, Mm -hmm. obviously, and I've been a grant writer for the Nature Conservancy Center for Independent Living and also over there at Rollins College. I think that most people think um, it, it is, it's a special skill. It's a mm-hmm. technical type of writing, but people think that there's like mystery around it and it's, it's just not that mysterious. It's technical writing. You just mm-hmm. stick to the facts. What do you think um, are some of the myths about grant writing? Have you encountered any? People think you're like a magician when you can get grants. Um, Well, I do actually tell people it is part magic, especially if you are an expert at it. Mm -hmm. So um, I've been successful to date acquiring over $84 million. Um, I've also managed grants. So that in itself makes me a little bit more unique compared to some of the other people on the job market when it comes to that skill set. A lot of people are... 
they're very singular. We either, they write grants, but they don't necessarily handle the finances and they don't necessarily manage the money. So for me and how I operate, I like to be a well-rounded individual and learn all facets of a life cycle with a, mm-hmm. a problem or a solution. So when it comes to grants um, more specifically, I think people think that it is easy and that you can put a grant together because they know someone who has also gotten lucky at winning a Mm -hmm. grant, but they do not realize that as you pursue more types of funding or larger amounts of money, it takes a lot more work. What that can look like is instead of a two page grant or a 10 page grant, trying to bring in millions of dollars will basically you're writing a dissertation yes. or you are sending in binders that are inches thick full of documentation and there's many facets of it you have to bring in teams and partners and have contracts in place and also leverage other funding from mm-hmm. different types of funders mm-hmm. so i've been blessed to where working for the government as my first experience getting into that I have been able to build public-private partnerships where there's public dollars coming from the government, but there's also private dollars. And those types of projects are certainly more complicated than maybe what a nonprofit typically does. So um, I think that some people, again, they hear, oh, there's all this money. We can go get everything. Right. That's That's a myth. Yeah. (laughs) That's the thing that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. There's that myth. And they feel like, oh, yeah, we'll write it and they'll give us money. But they don't also understand you have to submit a report with how you spent the money Mm -hmm. and you have to make sure that you have somebody that's keeping track of that in a very specific way. They don't understand the other side of the equation. Correct. They just think, oh, yeah, I'm going to write a grant. I'll get money. Or that what you wrote, if you're not managing that money properly, that that you not managing that money can impact your ability to get future dollars. Exactly. They don't understand that it's uh, it's all interconnected, mm-hmm. which is where strategy comes in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. have to keep all of the moving pieces you know, rolling at the same time Mm -hmm. and make sure that everything runs smoothly. So one of the things that I used to uh, be very proud of was any funds that were managed in my office. We did not have any audit findings on those. Our programs were managed at 100% compliance. So I had to learn, you know, compliance and Mm -hmm. understand how attorneys uh, write things, how they speak, um, read case law, all of those things are much greater than just writing technical writing. Right. Right. I, <laughs> and that's what makes me great at doing it. I agree. It. <laughs> yeah. I would agree with you 100%. That's been my experience also. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about the other business that you've started, let's talk about that one. Yes. So with Affinity Consulting Group, we are now moving into a phase where I am at a place where I want to give back to the community and teach them how they can successfully create public-private partnerships and get funding from multiple sources. So we have created a brand under Affinity called the Fund Finders Academy. So the Fund Finders Academy is going to be our online educational academy where we will provide a library and a library of resources of classes that specifically talk about funding, what is it, how do you get it, and walk you through the step-by-step Uh, mechanisms that you need in order to secure different types of funding for your business 
for nonprofits. And then also at some point we will add in uh, classes related to government. So we are launching that at the end of this month. And we are starting out with a class, the top five ways to find business funding and resources. Behind that, I have other classes, the top 10 business grant questions and how to answer them. Um, I've been successful winning business grants for Affinity Consulting. So I want to, and I've actually mentored and trained other people out of some business masterminds, how to follow the steps to be able to get money, tell their story and get money for their um, companies. So we want to be able to teach those things. I do intend to bring in other subject matter experts. Those experts may be experts in crowdfunding, or they may be experts in uh, business insurance and how you can use business insurance to fund your business. So I'm bringing in people that I know are practitioners. They are not uh, brand new. I call them influencers who just decided to say that they do these things during the pandemic, but they've actually had a career actually excelling at these types of uh, funding mechanisms and actually helping people achieve winning those opportunities. So um, I'm just curious. I want to sign up for this. So how do people find this place, the Fund Finders Academy? I normally save that for the end, but I want to, you know, tie it in here. So the Fund Finders Academy, the website and everything will be live next week. It's www.thefundfinders.com. That will be your gateway into our online academy. The academy is hosted on another website, but that will be your entry to go ahead and sign up for a subscription service to get access to the academy. In the academy, we're going to have the classes. We're going to have templates. We're going to have resources. We're going to have live Q&As once or twice a month with these experts where you can have that one-on-one and exchange with them and ask them direct questions about your particular situation. So um, we are partnering with uh, government entities, nonprofits, um, community development financial institutions. Those are our best partners and they have those built-in audiences of businesses and individuals who need these services. Mm, I like that. Now I'm just going to make sure our listeners know so that we actually, uh, when this show airs, she will already have that website up, just so you know. So um, even though she said next week, don't wait, look right away. You'll find that website. Absolutely. It will be up by the time this airs. Yeah, that's definitely true. So let's ask some fun questions, some a different direction. What is a favorite quote that you live by? Um, One of my favorite quotes is actually a Bible verse, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. Um, It says, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans of peace, not of evil, um, so that you have uh, hope. I can't remember the rest of it. So that, uh, and not of evil to give you a future and hope. Hope. Thank you for that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that is one of my favorite uh, quotes that I live by or Bible verses. Um, It just reminds me of hey, I may not know all of the answers today, Yeah, but I've got a future. There's going to be things that opportunities abound that come along my path. And as long as I stay focused and want to serve and help others, then those opportunities will be fruitful. Mm -hmm. And I'll add one more thing, because even though it's a Bible verse, it Mm -hmm. says, for I know the thoughts. And so that helps, I think, anybody that is a believer to be able to go and say, okay, I know somebody else is in charge of this. That's God. And I'm going to just do what I am supposed to do. And he's going to do what he is supposed to do. Absolutely. I talk a lot about obedience and how that has factored into my life when I am obedient and 
the plans and the dreams that are downloaded in me when mm-hmm. I actually do them and move, yep. walk towards them, everything opens up in a positive manner. But if I am fearful or being resistant, things go wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do know that one too. I know both sides of us because we have to get burned a little bit yes. to sit here and go, oh yeah, let me do it this way instead. Right. We, we either need to stick to the plan or just surrender completely. <laughs> yeah. What is the hardest lesson you learned that changed your life for the better? Um, I would say the hardest lessons I have learned have come from um, my ability to meet people, um, bring them into my life. Um, but I don't all, I haven't always in the past trusted my intuition if things with uh, those relationships didn't work out. So um, I would say that is the hardest lesson is not believing in myself and my intuition and trusting my gut from the jump. So I am now past that. I am delivered. I believe, (laughs) you know, and feel everything um, and stick to my intuition. And I go with that and I don't waver from it anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, What are you most grateful for? Um, I am honestly most grateful just to wake up and enjoy life every day. Um, There have been periods throughout my career where mental health, um, running a business, you know, caring for employees, things of that nature. I haven't always been a solo practitioner. I've had staff, um, the pressure of those families and running a business and bringing in enough money to feed everyone. All of those things can take a toll on you. So, um, I have had periods, dark periods where my mental health was not the best. And so I've, you know, not, I've had thoughts of, you know, perhaps not being on this earth. And so I had to move past that and make sure that I got myself back into better spirits and started practicing gratitude and living also in the present versus just the future, but definitely living in the presence, presence and being grateful for what I have now. Yeah. I think that, you know, I, I don't know the statistics, but I know it's very high for entrepreneurs because it's, it's very stressful. We Mm -hmm. choose to do this, you know, we, we choose. And I always, I don't know what it's like for being in a war, but I I think it's pretty stressful, obviously, because somebody can take your life, but it it seems that it's pretty high up there is what I remember the statistic being Mm -hmm. because it is. We we choose to carry all of this stress, whether it's just on ourselves or the responsibility of having people with us. Absolutely. And honestly, I think most of the entrepreneurs that I know who are, I'll say successful and they haven't given up, they were already high achievers. I think it is a part of being a high achiever as well. Yeah. There's anxiety, there's depression, there's all of the different feelings that you can have. And this is not for the faint at heart. And it is a roller coaster at times. You're going to have ups and you're going to have downs. And so you're keeping a positive um, mindset and um, focusing on your physical, spiritual, and mental health is highly important as an entrepreneur. Mm, preach. <laughs> I'm just saying, just preach. Yep. Take care of uh, mental, emotional, and all of those other things and physical. Yes. Yeah. Get lots of sleep. Yes, that too. Yeah. Have a routine. <laughs> yes, a good routine. Mm-hmm. So who in your life has had the biggest impact? Um, for me, my uh, maternal grandparents have had the biggest impact on my life. Um, 
my uh, maternal grandfather is no longer here. He passed away uh, in 2017, March of 2017, but my grandmother is still here and thriving at 82. But they were the biggest impact for me because they uh, set a legacy and a mindset for my mother's side of the family. Um, again, they were public administrators, so they have a great they have a great spirit and always served people. And so I grew up knowing that I was supposed to serve others first, um, for better or worse. But mm-hmm. definitely having a servant spirit um, and being a solution and providing people with resources, I saw them do that in their communities and how they operate it within the family. So I think that they set a great precedence for the rest of us mm-hmm. and um, their uh, principles and the things that they taught us. I hold those dear today. Mm-hmm. That is lovely. I'm curious, was your uh, grandparent, I guess it would have been your grandfather, uh, was he also somebody that served in the church? I think public administration, they kind of go hand in hand. No, um, he actually, I think probably more so went to church because of my grandmother, but he actually was a construction um, worker. He at on a military base and he owned a uh, property. So he was a real estate investor. So he had a business uh, doing the real estate investing and he also got his certifications to become a licensed plumber and uh, electrician. So he believed in various skills and using those skills to create businesses. And then he bought the properties with that funding. My mother, sorry, grandmother, I call her mom. She worked in a doctor's office. So I was around the doctor and their nurses um, many of times and they became the family doctor. Um, And even the nurse practitioner who now runs the clinic, she's still the family doctor or nurse practitioner as well. Mm -hmm. So it was very, you know, family oriented and just seeing them at work, they were always serving other people. And even in their businesses, they had service-based businesses. So it was about service. Yeah. I like the fact that your grandfather, he was pretty smart. Mm -hmm. He'd go build a house and then he probably figured, okay, well, I'll be the plumber and the person that they contact because I built the house. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was pretty smart to be able to tie those things together. Yes. What would strategy? Oh, gosh. Yeah. And that's definitely where you got it. Yes. Yeah. Well, from both sides, I'm yes. sure. Uh, what would you like to be remembered for in your life? Um, I think what I want to be remembered for is, again, um, I definitely, of course, in terms of family, want you know there to be positive thoughts about my impact on the family legacy, but it is certainly leaving legacies. I do have a desire to leave a community legacy. Any city that I've ever lived in or um, communities that I work with, I try to strategically pick projects where it's going to not just impact one person, but many. And so my goal is you know, to make sure that I'm impacting as many people as possible, making sure that I'm getting resources for programs, for Mm -hmm. capital projects, et cetera, that will be there long after, you know, I am no longer on this earth. So there are parks, there are programs that are still running. um, There is economic development happening in places where I help set those things up and bring in money um, to make that happen. So that is what I would say I want my legacy to be is just that, you know, Sharice served as many people as she could and served as many communities and helped them grow and prosper and uh, develop communities for all families. Gotcha. Well, we're going to take a real brief 
break for acknowledging Transcend Network as our sponsor. Transcend Network helps early stage startup founders find product market fit through weekly experiments, receive fundraising support, and build a global founder investor network for ed tech and the future of work technologies. The Intern Whisperer is affiliated with Employers for Change, and we thank Transcend Network for being a sponsor of our show. We're back in the second half of our show where we talk about the future of work. And so, Sharice, what do you think 2030 is going to look like as it relates to work? You can pick any category you want, industries, jobs, whatever. Um, I think 2030 is going to look like people are still mostly in a hybrid environment. Um, I hope that we actually have more electric and autonomous vehicles driving us around and even um, air autonomous vehicles in the air <laughs> um, that would be cool right jetsons yes definitely yeah. looking forward to the jetsons era yeah. um i think that we will be looking for opportunities for us to work smarter and not as hard and perhaps uh with less people should there be population declines things of that nature so i do foresee the need for additional automation um robots things of that nature and i think that it's going to be imperative for people to understand how to work with them or in this arena versus being fearful of it yeah we're not going to be able to hide our head in the sand or ignore them because they're already here and in osceola county there's robots yes have you been there to that restaurant i'm going next week okay well i look forward to hearing what you have to say about it um and for our listeners we're in orlando florida if you're new but pretty sure you might you might know this so we also discuss robots, AI, augmented reality, virtual reality. Pick any of those categories and just share what your thoughts are about it because there's a lot of fear about these things. AI has brought us chat GPT and does that mean people are going to lose jobs? Um, we always have heard people will get new jobs. There's going to be different ways. What are your thoughts? Because it it does impact government. It impacts every industry. Absolutely. So lately I have uh, focused a lot more on machine learning and AI. I have been teaching about it. Um, I teach at Tulane University. So I have a technology and civic leadership class. So in this class is in the public administration program. So we've got the public administrators in there who may become future legislators and policymakers. So we are talking about the fact that the government is behind um, technology right now and they have not kept up and um, thought about the impacts to the various groups who may actually already be disenfranchised from the process. Mm -hmm. So there um, is certainly a need to create more legislation around this to create safeguards for vulnerable populations and communities. I personally have adopted utilization of the machine learning that exists that everyone is also coining as AI. Um, I can't wait till we get to the point of true artificial intelligence for the masses. I know it already exists, but um, having a, a system be able to think um, as you do <laughs> is very intriguing to say the least. Um, but in the meantime, with what we have with machine learning, I'm actively using it myself. I've used chat GPT. I use it just about every other day. Um, I use it to enhance the things that I am doing and to save time and also money. 
jobs in my business and for my clients. So I actively use it, love it. I think it's a great tool. I think that the companies who are incorporating uh, open AI into their apps, into their tech enabled software, I think that they will be forward thinking by moving in that direction. <laughs> mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. Have you used chat GPT? Yeah, I use it a lot. <laughs> yeah. Have you, you know, one of my friends, I'm not going to say where, um, used chat GPT to write a grant, mm -hmm. uh, a proposal, a response to the grant and their grant got funded. Mm -hmm. So I'm going, wow, uh, that's an example of how it worked for and a federal grant, mm -hmm. to be clear. So those are hard. Those are the hardest ones that you ever write. Um, heck, can you tell the difference between the chat and the human one? I mean, a poorly written one, yes, you get yes. that one. Yeah. Um, I can spot differences because I, um, again, being a writer, you know what feels authentic. Right. However, chat GPT can be trained to write the way that a technical writer does. So I think it's as you can't tell if you've got a great writer who is prompting it to write as that writer does. Mm -hmm. So it will become a little less detectable, but most people unfortunately are just putting things in chat GPT and they copy it verbatim. They don't think about rephrasing it. They don't think about citations and sources. Right. Um, these are all technical skills that you learn or I've learned at least through academic writing. So right. I know to take what chat GPT, if I put something in there, which is my preference, I like to seed it first and to train it with something that I've already written and ask it to enhance what I wrote. Mm -hmm. And then if I take something from scratch, I ask it a question. I always take that. I rephrase it. And then I also put it into a secondary AI system and have it rephrase it again. Nice. That's really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And have you seen that it's been successful? Has it saved you time? I think that's- It definitely has saved me time. I have recently used it for emails. I have used it for proposals. I have used it to actually write out a script for a commercial that I made for one of my clients. I have used it um, for research purposes. I've used it to create FAQs, mm -hmm. um, frequently asked questions. I have used it for a social media post. Uh, what else have I done? Sounds like a lot, more than most yes. people. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yes, I am going to be using it uh, with the Fun Finders Academy. We are going to have a 10-week cohort for business plans, and I have figured out how to use it to actually help write sections of the business plan. Oh, very good. Very, very good. All right. Um, well, I'm curious on the robot side. I yes. want to go back to that one. Um, have you seen those Boston uh, technology robots that will do the Dancing. they they dance? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, have you seen any of those in Orlando? Orlando, because I'm looking for a sighting of anything like that. They, you know, just so our listeners know, they have um, four little legs. They kind of walk around like a dog, and they'll dance in the uh, video. You can find it on YouTube or Facebook. I'm pretty sure you can find it on Facebook too. Uh, it's very entertaining and it has some fun music in there, um, but. I saw those types of robots in Black Mirror, but I haven't seen them in real life here in Florida. Have you? So I have not seen those types of robots. Uh, I am going on a tour over in Osceola County next week where I uh, will That's where they probably are. have exposure to uh, some of the automation and tech that exists out there in New York City. However, the closest thing that I've seen with robots, not 
four-legged. Um, well, let me not say that. I am aware of those robots when it comes to law enforcement agencies. Oh, so okay. I know that they exist and that they can be very helpful. I have seen video demonstrations from other communities, especially out West that already deploy those to help assist police officers, whether it's with bombs or other types of um, criminal activities, they have been helpful in law enforcement. Um, the closest thing I've seen to a robot here in the Orlando community has been out in Lake Nona. They actually use robotic instruments to mow lawns and right. do gardening, uh, lawn care out in Lake Nona. <laughs> mm -hmm. I also heard there's uh, little trolleys that go around. Yes, with those yeah. are autonomous. Yeah, mm -hmm. with no drivers, just Correct. so our listeners know. Mm -hmm. So the um, so they're here in Orlando, Florida, and people will say, oh, gosh, that just sounds so so unbelievable. Yeah, they're everywhere. You just may not notice that they're there. Yes, I have driven past dry um, fast food restaurants, drive throughs that have no humans. They are all 100% automated, but I choose not to frequent those mm. <laughs> restaurants. Hmm. Okay, we'll talk about that offline. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, what ethical dilemmas do you foresee with this type of technology? Because they think that everybody is focused on, well, this is what it's supposed to be. And then there's those that are fearful about it and think that it's obviously, yes, it's going to take jobs, but there's supposed mm -hmm. to be a replacement of jobs. My concern is always, well, just because we can do something that way so, doesn't should. mean we should. Absolutely. So what are your thoughts? So I think that there are a lot of ethical dilemmas that have already presented themselves with machine learning and AI and mm -hmm. this technology. They, I Again, because I scour for this to help teach, I am already aware of the deep fake accounts where people have utilized artificial intelligence to mimic uh, people's voices, right. their likeness by having AI headshots and using them as an avatar. Um, people have already done kind of nefarious things with this technology to trick people out of handing over money for ransoms, uh, pretending that they have kidnapped their children and right. sending them phone calls and letting them know, hey, we have your child and you need to send us money and they will have the child's voice on the phone. And it's simply because they've recorded it from online or mm. some other, I don't know how they got it, but they have right. their voice. So I think the government has to create legislation, number one, to A, help protect children, yeah. um, but also to create task force um, law enforcement policies and procedures so that people have a mechanism if a crime has been committed in their likeness and it was not them, if they can prove it, right. you know, they should be able to reclaim their name or have a civil suit against whoever did this if they can find them. So there's that part. The other piece of this that concerns me is, you know, tech firms create these things in a bubble. Right. And there is a lack of diversity and equity around the table and everyone's voices are not heard. The uh, developers, the engineers, they get into rooms and they just go and they create and they put it out to market, but they may not necessarily reiterate the program or do continuous improvement where they are incorporating feedback from different viewpoints or different voices. And I think that that's important that we need different voices around the table. How is this going to impact vulnerable populations, elderly, disabled, mm -hmm. minorities, women, children, have them at the table as you're creating 
this software, these robots, these things, and find out what's going to be the impact to them, both positive and negatively. Yeah, I think that was really well said because a lot of the, um, there's not always a lot of discussion around people that are vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And that can be seniors, that can be people with disabilities, that can be uh, homeless that are like off the grid or internationals. There's so many people that can be impacted by this. And I think that sometimes people go, oh, they're invisible. Nobody's going to notice that they're missing. Somebody will, there Mm -hmm. will be a pattern that gets established Mm -hmm. and it's going to be important to pay attention to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, So what is the best mentoring advice that you would want to share with our listeners? So the best mentoring advice um, that I would like to share with the listeners is number one, uh, make sure you are always advocating for yourself and negotiate everything um, and ask for what you want on this Mm -hmm. earth. The worst that people can say is no. And no does not necessarily mean no forever. It can mean not right now. (laughs) So I think we need to be able to use our voices and speak up for ourselves and others and certainly uh, ask. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And if you don't ask, you can never receive. We know that's uh, certainly from the Bible too. Um. I pull some of the Bible verses in. I know my show's not one that's uh, necessarily under the religious spectrum, but um, being a person of faith, Mm -hmm. it's important that we acknowledge that. So I appreciate that you're even putting that out there and admire it greatly. So, yeah. Um, Okay. So how can our listeners contact you? Um, Listeners can contact me on social media. You can reach me the best way is on LinkedIn. That's where I am hanging out these days. You can find me with my name, Sharice Wilkes. Also, of course, I have social media handles for my business. Uh, The best one is the Fun Finders. We're on Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter with that Mm -hmm. one. And for Affinity Consulting Group, the management consulting side, we have uh, a page on LinkedIn and also Facebook, which the handle for Facebook is ACGFLCO. Got it. Um, okay. Well, uh, we just flew through that show. I don't know if you noticed it, but very articulate, really admire the fact that you came in and you were oozing confidence. I love that. Um, because sometimes people come on and they're not always, they're a little afraid of being on camera and being on a podcast, but it's just like, no, you know, they begin to relax and they realize, oh, it's not that scary. Yes. Yeah. So you're coming in. Yeah, it's just a conversation. Anyway, thank you so much for being here. And I look forward to another conversation with you offline. Thank you you to our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and our video production and editing team, Dave Laporte, Tommy Myers, and Andrew Pagat. Music is by Sophie Lloyd. Visit Employers for Change at www.e4c.tech to learn how you can create real diversity and inclusive culture while skilling your people for the future of work. We also want to thank you for supporting The Intern Whisperer by subscribing to us on Podbean, our Employers for Change YouTube channel, or your favorite podcast streaming channel. And please be sure to leave us a comment and share the show.